Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello and welcome to Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture, reporting from the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. La Nina to continue Texas drought in December. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. New labels for dicamba herbicide looks like good news for cotton producers on the rolling plains. Hello, I'm Barry Mahler, and I have the story in today's report. There's some positive news for Texas farmers and ranchers in a new nationwide opinion poll. The public trusts them. I'm Gary Joyner, and I'll have those details coming up on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets coming up. Texas agriculture has continued to operate during the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic, and Texas Governor Greg Abbott says he's doing everything he can to keep it that way. Addressing the state's largest farm group, Abbott told the Texas Farm Bureau's virtual convention attendees Monday that he has made agriculture a top priority. Uh, And that was to identify ag-based businesses as essential services, uh, ensuring that ag-based businesses were never shut down. Uh, And then working with businesses that operate in conjunction with ag-based businesses uh, to ensure Uh, that either they were never shut down or they were able to at least operate uh, with a high level of functionality. For example, grocery stores uh, would be one example. And so uh, we made sure that the agricultural system uh, remained fully engaged. And keeping Texas meat processing facilities operating was part of that plan. We we went in there and we surged supplies uh, to make sure that the challenges of the meatpacking facility were able to be overcome as quickly as possible uh, so that they could get back to business, knowing that they were really a a part of this whole supply chain uh, in the ag-based business. And we want to make sure that supply chain uh, was kept open. Abbott says he plans to work closely with the farm group in the upcoming legislative session to address the needs of rural Texas, such as improving broadband access for every area of the state and improving rural hospitals. He says he does not foresee another shutdown of the Texas economy because of the coronavirus, with vaccine availability just a few weeks away. La Nina continues to affect Texas weather, extending the drought well into the fall months. Tom Nicoletti talks with a meteorologist about the situation. According to the National Integrated Drought Information System, currently there are 19,774 thousand Texas residents that are living in some form of drought at this time. That is 79% of the state's total population. 
to go a step further, 4,863,000 people, uh, which is 19% of the Texas population, are living in abnormally dry areas. Tom Bradshaw is National Weather Service meteorologist joining us today from Fort Worth. And uh, as we do every month, we look at uh, the previous month very quickly, Tom, and uh, into December. And uh, certainly November was a dry month. And uh, the Texas Drought Monitor is, uh, uh, you know, showing uh, just that. Yeah, it's good to be with you again, Tom. And certainly November was a very dry month, the Lone Star State, uh, parts of far west Texas, had really virtually no precipitation whatsoever. Vast reaches of central and northeast Texas, again, very, very, very light amounts. The only areas that actually got any precipitation at all of any appreciable amount were the areas from about Laredo across to the Houston and Beaumont, Port Arthur areas. But just about everybody else was, was very dry, and that's typical of what we see with a La Nina fall and winter pattern, which tends to shunt storm systems up to our north and our east away from uh, away from affecting the Lone Star State. Now we're into the final month of the year, into December, and of course, officially uh, later in the month, winter will begin. So what uh, is uh, the forecast that you see uh, going uh, forward for December as far as any any type of precipitation, whether it be in the form of rainfall or, or snowfall, and, the, and also temperatures? Well, the forecast from the Climate Prediction Center is still calling for very dry and warm conditions across the state of Texas during the month of December. doesn't mean we won't have brief incursions of cold air. And first, uh, for that matter, it looks like the first few days of the month of December will be a little on the cool side with a a little bit of Canadian air that will have uh, moved into the area. But by and large, we should see uh, normal to above normal temperatures and, again, very dry conditions. We may see a little bit of snow, as we normally do up in the Panhandle. We've already had a couple of storms up there uh, this fall and winter, and we may see a little snow out in far west Texas. But by and large, most areas of the state of Texas are expected to be uh, remain on the dry side through the month of December. And the counties that have really taken it on the chin the worst are the, the counties from the Panhandle southward to the Lubbock and uh, Plainview, Midland, um, um, Odessa areas down into the Big Bend also seeing a lot of very dry conditions from the uh, San Antonio area down towards uh, Del Rio and uh, the Laredo areas. So many, many areas that are receiving uh, virtually no rainfall over the last, actually the last several months, but certainly over the last 30 to 60 days, it's been extremely dry. That is National Weather Service meteorologist Tom Bradshaw joining us today from Fort Worth. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. New labels for dicamba herbicide appear to be good news for Texas cotton farmers. Barry Mahler reports from the Rolling Plains. I remember it well. We had just finished planting cotton on our farm, and the news came out that the EPA had pulled the label on dicamba herbicide for cotton. Now, the dicamba-ready cotton seeds cost more, but it brought the needed broadleaf control that we were not getting with the glyphosate regimen we'd been using. Now, one of the challenges of reduced tillage operation is the need for new chemistry to keep weeds from becoming resistant. I understand the problem of dicamba drift, especially where many acres of cotton and soybeans and other crops are planted in close proximity to each other. But here on the Rolling Plains, that was not as severe as, say, in the southeastern part of the country. Well, I never thought we would get an area-specific labeling that would allow us to continue to use the production tool, but that's what we received in late October. 
While the details of the new labeling is still unfolding, it looks as though the restrictions will be workable. All three of the new labels will require a volatility-reducing agent, and there will be cutoff dates for application. Annual training is still required for applicators because of the conditions at application are key both to the effectiveness and the safety of the product. The fact that the Texas Department of Agriculture received very few complaints in West Texas certainly helped the case. Bottom line is being able to use dicamba broadens our chemistry and gives cotton producers some help in preventing new resistant weeds for the future. This is Barry Mahler reporting from North Central Texas for Texas Ag Today. There's some positive news for Texas farmers and ranchers in a new nationwide opinion poll. Gary Joyner has more. It's good to be trusted. A new national public opinion poll from the American Farm Bureau Federation says 88% of adults trust farmers. That's a 4% increase since June. It appears the public recognizes that food supply chain challenges created by COVID-19 were not within the control of farmers and ranchers. A majority of U.S. adults also have a positive view of the sustainability practices of farmers. There is a broad agreement from a majority of adults across demographic groups. 84% say environmental sustainability and economic sustainability are both important for farmers, and most adults say both are very important. More than four in five adults also say feeding the world and farmers passing farms on to future generations are important. Nearly half correctly ranked agriculture as the smallest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions by economic sector. That level of understanding can be improved. According to the latest Environmental Protection Agency data, agriculture accounts for 10% of total U.S. emissions, far less than the transportation, electricity production, commercial and residential and industry sectors. There is more work to be done, but the survey demonstrates that Americans are impressed by advancements in climate-smart farming. That should give Texas farmers and ranchers confidence going forward. I'm Gary Joyner for Texas Ag Today. Lawmakers in Washington, D.C. are working towards an agreement on the 2021 spending package. Michael Clements has the story from Washington. With less than two weeks before the current spending package expires, lawmakers are working on a package to fund the federal government for the remainder of fiscal year 2021. R.J. Carney, American Farm Bureau Federation Congressional Relations Director, says the negotiations are ongoing. The federal government is currently operating under a continuing resolution, which will expire on December 11th. The House and Senate have agreed to top-line spending amounts for all 12 appropriation bills. The next step is for the subcommittee chairs to finalize and agree on the specific allocations within their specific bill. Cardi says Farm Bureau has a list of priorities for the agriculture spending bill, including an extension and additional funding for the Wildfire Hurricane Indemnity Program, or WIP+. This is critical for the farmers and ranchers impacted by the numerous hurricanes, the derecho, the flooding, and the wildfires that have persisted throughout 2020. The derecho is currently not a qualifying disaster event because under current USDA guidelines, unlike hurricanes, derechos are not named storms. 
So AFBF is requesting there be a policy change to allow farmers and ranchers impacted by the trade show to receive funding for the WIP Plus program. Carney says it appears Congress has all intentions to finalize 2021 spending bills. There are a lot of politics still to play out over the next two weeks, and a lot of discussions will occur both within the House and Senate committee chairs, but then also within the leadership and in coordination with the White House. If Congress is unable to come to a resolution, then we would likely see another continuing resolution, which would extend early into the next Congress and the new administration. Michael Clements, Washington. Genetic testing is becoming more popular with equine organizations as we attempt to decrease the number of genetic diseases in horses. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a closer look at that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau Insurance has protected fellow Texans with auto, home, health, and life insurance since 1952. With more than 260,000 square miles of land and 27 million people, that's a lot to cover. Whether you're wrangling cattle or wrangling kids, we're proud to protect Texans in all Texan ways of life. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to get insurance for Texans by Texans. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Genetic testing is becoming more popular with equine organizations as we attempt to decrease the number of genetic diseases in horses. Dr. Bob Judd takes a closer look. Dr. Kerry Fino from UC Davis and Dr. Molly McHugh from Minnesota talked about equine genetic diseases and testing at the AAEP convention. A common disease affecting Belgians and halflingers is the cancer squamous cell carcinoma that typically occurs with exposure to UV light. Lesions commonly develop at mucocutaneous junctions like the eyes, lips, and prepuce, and there is a test that breeders can use to determine if a horse is susceptible before breeding. Another genetic disease is immune-mediated myositis, which is a disease that causes rapid muscle loss in young quarter horses after exposure to infection or vaccination of certain diseases. A test is available to determine which quarter horses might be susceptible to immune-mediated myositis. Another common genetic syndrome in quarter horses, Belgians, and Percherons is one form of tying up, and this is polysaccharide storage myopathy, or PSSM. Polysaccharide storage myopathy occurs in at least 30 breeds, so if you plan to breed or even buy a horse, it might be a good idea to test for this disease. Another form of tying up is due to type 2 PSSM, but there is no genetic test for it, and a muscle biopsy is required for a diagnosis. Another disease that may be genetic is equine asthma, previously called heaves. This disease may be related to multiple genes, but no test is available at this point. The American Quarter Horse Association has taken the lead in genetic testing, so it may appear that quarter horses have more genetic diseases than other horses. However, this is not true. The large number of quarter horse tests available are because the quarter horse folks have been more aggressive at testing, and this is a really good thing. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Oak wilt is a fungal disease that affects oak trees in Texas, preventing them from taking up water and eventually killing the tree. Jonathan Moxinger with the Texas A&M Forest Service says there are several things that can be done to prevent the spread of oak wilt. One of the big ones is 
painting any wounds to to oak trees immediately after they happen. Um, that could be a pruning wound from from removing a branch um, or just any other kind of injury to a tree. Um, covering that with paint keeps the um, spores from the fungus from being able to to enter the tree in that way. Um, another thing that, that can be done is is not moving firewood from one place to another. That's that's a one way that oak wilt and, and a number of other diseases and insects can be spread is through um, through the movement of firewood. And so the the recommendation that that we have is don't move firewood, burn it where you buy it, or or burn it where you cut it. In, instead of moving it, and that helps to prevent the spread of, of the disease. Moxinger says oak wilt is primarily found in the central Texas hill country, where oaks are concentrated, making it easy for the disease to spread, and it can infect all types of oaks. It can be found in any kind of oak tree. Uh, because we have primarily uh, live oaks, uh, that's where we see it most often in, in central Texas, but red oaks are, are also very susceptible, and some white oaks, uh, like Mexican white oak or, or post oak or chinktabin oak, uh, can also be affected by the disease. Jonathan Moxinger with the Texas A&M Forest Service. Cattle and cotton both closed higher on Tuesday, but the grain markets dropped lower. We'll take a closer look at the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Did you know that one out of every three mouthfuls of food we eat is produced by insect pollination, most of which is done by bees? In fact, bees are vitally important to food production. That's why modern agriculture is working with beekeepers to promote bee health. Ensuring a sustainable food supply requires each of us to play our part in preserving the land and protecting pollinators. This public service announcement is brought to you by Syngenta. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Cattle futures had a positive day on Tuesday. We ended up closing higher in both live and feeder cattle. December live cattle up 45 cents, 110.62. February up 30 at 113.17. April live cattle up 42, 116.82. Feeder cattle futures ending higher as well. January feeders up 60 cents, 141.65. March up 67, 140.65. April up 80 cents, 141.87. Cash fed cattle trade quiet on Tuesday. Feedlots hoping for higher money this week. We have asking prices here in the South, 112 to 113. No bids reported from the Packers. Boxed beef prices mixed. Choice down 34 cents, 243.34. Select up $1.69, 224.12. Let's check a couple of feeder cattle auctions now. We go to Live Oak Livestock Auction in Three Rivers, Texas. They sold 709 head this week. The trend was steady. Two to three weight steers, $1.28 to $1.72 a pound. Three to four weight steers, $1.28 to $1.70. Four to 500 pounders, $1.22 to $1.62. Five to six weight steers, $1.16 to $1.54. Six to seven hundred pounders, a dollar eight to a dollar thirty-six. 
seven to eight weight steers, 92 to $1.26 a pound. Slaughter cows, 24 to 54 cents. Slaughter bulls, 62 to 78. Stocker cows, 550 to $1,000 a head. Cow-calf pairs, 725 to 1050 a pair. Nixon Livestock Commission in Nixon, Texas, sold 407 head. Their trend was steady to higher. Two to three weight steers, $1.34 to $1.65. Three to four weights, $1.33 to $1.90. Four to 500 pounders, $1.29 to $1.88 a pound. Five to six weight steers, $1.13 to $1.56. Six to 700 pounders, $1.11 to $1.37. Seven to eight hundred pounders, a dollar six to a dollar twenty six a pound. Slaughter cows, twenty four to fifty eight cents. Slaughter bulls, forty six to eighty five. Stocker cows brought four fifty to seven sixty a head. Back over to the futures market, where lean hogs closed mixed. December hogs down sixty cents, sixty six ninety seven. February up seventeen, sixty eight seventy five. Class 3 milk, closing higher, December up 10 cents, 15.25 a hundredweight. The cotton market closed higher, USDA reporting the 2020 crop now 84% harvested. That's up from 77% the previous week. March cotton was up 4 points, closing at 72.19. May up 2, 73.07. December 21 cotton up 25 points at 71 cents even. The wheat market continuing to fall lower, both hard and soft wheat in Kansas City and Chicago ending in negative territory. December Kansas City wheat down eight and a quarter, five thirty-seven and a half. July down seven and three quarters, five forty-eight and three quarters. July Chicago wheat down seven and a half, five eighty-one a bushel. Corn was lower. December dropped and nickeled, finish at four fourteen and three quarters. In the energy markets, January natural gas unchanged, 287. January crude oil down 94 cents, 44.40 a barrel. The financial markets higher. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 185 points, 29,823. The Nasdaq up 156 at 12,355. The S&P 500 up 40, 3,662. That wraps up our markets, and that wraps up another episode of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I hope to see you then. I'm Kerry Martin, and this is Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.